So in 2005, Laurel and I built a house in Linden. It's no longer a house, it's a home. It's got enough dings in the walls and, 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 and nicks and marks that, that every one of them kind of represents a memory for our family. When we built that house, the construction process was completely new for me. I mean, I'd never built anything in my life. I am deeply thankful today that there are people who can draw blueprints and actually follow blueprints and frame things and plumb and roof and electrify and wire and carpet and paint and all that other stuff. Because this one thing I know, if the construction process was left to me, that house would not exist. It would not be standing today. I had one job on our construction site, and that was to keep the job site clean. And because of my OCD, it was, a, it was a moral victory for me when my framing crew said, this is the cleanest job site we have ever been on in our lives. Like you would arrange wood in order of length, like and lay it out so that we knew where everything was the next day. That was my job and I loved it. We got to the point in our home where uh, everything had kind of been roughed in and then we were putting insulation in so you could actually kind of feel where the walls and, and the rooms were going to be. And one evening I took my whole family, dragged them all over there because we were going to go clean up the job site. That was our job. And we walked in the door. Braden was about 11 years old at the time. He walked in the door and he stood in the middle of what was going to be our living room, right? Fairly important room in the house. And he looks at it and he goes, Dad, this room is not symmetrical. And I did what all mature parents would do. I said, you know what, you little punk, if you can't say something good, like just keep your mouth shut, go to the car, stay out of here, like come on, Brayden, like we're supposed to be positive about this whole thing. And he just kind of stood there and looked around and he goes, yeah, we've been studying like symmetry in Mrs. Crane's class with, like, with math and stuff and this room is not symmetrical. And I'm like, of course it's symmetrical. I've got professionals building this house. What do you know? You're a kid, right? And Brain's like, okay. So I actually did. I sent him to the car. He will tell you this. I scarred him, okay, all right? He, I sent him to the car, but before he left, he turned around and he goes, Dad, he goes, well, if this room is symmetrical, I have only one question. How come the roof line over there is that far away from the window on that side? And that far away from the same window on that side. They turned around and walked out. And I looked up and I went, oh, this is not good at all. I called my architect. He came over. He started measuring things. He called my builder. He came over. They started measuring things. And before we knew it, we realized that the entire house was off. Like it was off, completely and totally off. There was a mistake. It started with a few inches, a few inches of measurement off of a main beam. And by the time it translated around the whole house, the whole thing was a mess. My kid was right and he saved me a lot of money and he will never let me live that down as long as I live. I mean, weeks of work had gone into construction and it was all in vain because even though we built it, we built it wrong. They had to come back. Two crews had to come back. They tore off part of the roof. They had to remake the roof trusses. I mean, they recut, resaw. They had to read just about everything to make it right. And they did make it right. And it's been a great home for us to live in for a really, really, really long time. But that whole episode reminded me of a psalm, a song from Scripture that we're going to be in for about the next three or four weeks. The Bible says this in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those that he loves. 
Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in the court. I've read that psalm so many times, having grown up as a believer and kind of looking at Scripture all of the time. When I was preparing for this series, though, I read it again, and there was a little detail that just kind of knocked me completely sideways when it came to Psalm 127. I always thought this psalm was kind of ironic because I had just assumed that David was the writer because David wrote the majority of psalms. And I thought it's kind of ironic that David would talk about building because he never actually got to build the house of God. And I thought it was kind of ironic that he would talk about kids being such a joy because David's kids actually tried to kill him, which is not exactly parenting 101. But you know, so honestly, I hadn't really put a lot of weight into this particular psalm until I realized that David didn't write Psalm 127. The author of Psalm 127 was Solomon. Why does that matter? It matters because it gives us a whole other angle on this little piece of Scripture that's going to be our guiding light for the next couple of weeks. The author of the, of the Psalm was Solomon. And this is what Scripture tells us about Solomon. It teaches us that, number one, he was intensely wise. Solomon was known for his wisdom. And I don't know about you, but when there's somebody really smart in a room, I like to pay attention. Because I think there's something we can learn from someone who's smarter than us. There is wisdom in listening to wise people. And Solomon was purportedly the most wise man in all of human history. Secondly, we learn that Solomon was a master builder. Solomon built the house of God in the Old Testament. I've seen the land on which that temple was erected. It is unbelievable. It is breathtaking. So when it comes to the construction of a nation or a church or even a family, I think Solomon has a lot to say and we've got a lot to learn. We can't bypass this other truth, though. When it comes to Solomon, uh, we also know this about him. He was a bit of a social train wreck. All right, we're not going to get into this in the first couple of weeks, but it's out of the pain of Solomon's marriage or marriages and his relationship with his kids that we learn some of the most valuable lessons about our own spiritual and physical families. And finally, we learn that Solomon was a philosopher. He was a smart man. He wrote a book of wisdom called Ecclesiastes. Some of you have heard his famous words before. If you've ever gone to a funeral, if you've ever gone to a graduation, you may have heard Solomon. Well, let me just quote him. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace, a time to not embrace. A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Time is it for you this fall? You know, Solomon could have written anything he wanted to, but under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God, he writes these words Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers, the builders labor in vain. I would put it this way it's my spin on, an, on kind of an ancient way of looking at this that the human hand without the hand of God is futile. It's fruitless, it's fading, it's frustrating, and it's soon forgotten. 
You can do all different kinds of things with this hand, but if the hand of God's not wrapped around it, everything you're going to try and build with your human hand is going to end up falling apart. It's going to disappear. It's going to fade. Whatever it is you're building, if God's not in it, it will disappear if God is, is not in it. But if He is in it, it will last for eternity. Some of us are we're all building something. Some of us are building a career. Some of us are building a reputation. Others of you are building a criminal record. You want to rethink that, okay? Others are building a family. Others are building a legacy. Some of us are building an earthly home. God's going to call us to build a heavenly home. We're all building at one level or another. The question is, Solomon comes in all of his wisdom and he asks a question. Are you the architect of what you are building or is God the architect of what he is building and you are cooperating with him? Because if you are the chief architect or even see yourself as the chief architect, Solomon has the nerve to call everything that we're doing into question. In fact, he slides it all over into a category that's somewhat offensive, especially to those of us who are working really, 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 really hard to build something. He puts it in the category of vain construction. What in the world is that? What is vain construction? Okay, it doesn't mean vanity as in someone that looks at themselves and thinks they're really, really good looking. No, it's talking about the kind of construction that just doesn't produce the right results. It's empty work. It's busy work. The guys who were framing my house, it was vain construction because it wasn't right. Everything was like twisted. It didn't even look like the picture. It was vain construction. It needed to be ripped apart and done all over again. So what is vain construction? Well, I've learned a few things having participated in it for a chunk of my life. I would put it this way. Vain construction builds for the glory of me. So if you ever find yourself saying, this is my life, my house, my career, my future, my money, my retirement, my plans, this is mine, and it's all built to bring glory to me because I'm a really big deal in my own mind, that's vain construction. Vain construction builds to the glory of me. Godly construction builds to the glory of God. It's His life. It's His house. It's His retirement. It's His money. It's His future. It's His church. It's His sermon. It's His guitar. It's His TV. It's His preaching platform. It's His iPad. It's all His. And it's there for His glory and for no other reason. So vain construction builds for the glory of me. Vain construction also just builds on the wrong foundation. I mean, I don't know if you notice this or not, but we build our lives on temporal, movable, self-actualized, shifting foundations, and then we're so perplexed when it comes crashing down. I mean, how quickly have we forgotten 2008, right? I mean, all of a sudden, one day, everything... The material icons of our country get shaken to the core. Suddenly all of our stocks and bonds are devalued and people are freaking out all over the place. Why? Because all of a sudden they realized we thought Wall Street didn't shake. You know what we found out? It was a house of cards. And it freaked some of us out. The truth is, we forget pretty quick. Vain construction builds on the wrong foundation. Godly construction builds on Jesus, the chief cornerstone, and the Word of God that doesn't change like a shifting shadow or a movable foundation. That's why we build ourselves on the right foundation because we don't want to be freaking out every time something quivers and moves. I don't know about you guys, but I, when I read the newspaper these days, anybody else feel like things are just kind of shaking and moving a little around us? On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground 
is sinking sand. What else is vain construction? It produces exhaustion. I mean, we exhaust ourselves chasing the construction of our own destiny only to find out that the, the things that we actually believe will satisfy, they leave us thirsty, they leave us empty. I had a friend who went through an unbelievably dark, dark, dark time in his life. And, and, and he said something to me that has stuck with me when I think about, about all of these things that are just kind of these vain imaginations. We think they're real, but they don't turn out to be real. He said, I didn't even know that it was a mirage until I was choking on sand. I didn't even know. I thought it would satisfy. Vain construction focuses completely on vain ideas and it produces exhaustion. Godly construction doesn't exhaust you. It actually refreshes and invigorates and replenishes your soul. You don't get tired when you're purely involved in godly construction. Let's keep going. What else can we learn here? Then we learn that vain construction destroys families. I mean, while we're out chasing the elusive dreams of the world, the most precious commodity that we have that God gives us grows up and moves out and sometimes disappears without a relationship because we were chasing the wrong foundation. Godly construction puts family in the right place of priority and centers on Jesus and Jesus alone. So I got a question. What if this fall we completely abandoned vain construction and instead fully committed ourselves to godly construction? What if we left everything else out of our life that had any smack at all of vain construction and we said, the only thing that I'm going to lay my hand to will be eternal. Otherwise, I'm not even going to waste my time or my breath. What if we built God's way? Well, if this is just an introduction for Psalm 127. But if we build God's way, the Bible actually tells us that there are outcomes that come to each one of us. And they're all laid out in Psalm 127. So here are the outcomes. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to consider the outcomes. And if they sound attractive to you, then maybe we'll actually apply and do the work. Here's outcome number one. The outcome of living out Psalm 127 is that we will build on the right foundation. 1 Corinthians 3 says this. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The Bible says there's one foundation and one foundation only. The Bible makes it clear. If you try and build your life on any foundation other than God and His Word, that your best effort will be completely and totally in vain. With the human hand, without the hand of God, it's futile. That's what he's saying. That's why Jesus loved to tell a story in Scripture. When we were in Israel... We got up one morning and we were having devotions kind of down in this one little area and we were looking across the Sea of Galilee and our, our, our guide Sam gathered a little group of us and, and he said, he goes, this is, we believe, where Jesus taught the story of the man, the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And if you look right across the lake, all the way to the other side, what you see is this pile of rubble. What's interesting is this, there was a Roman authority who lived in the area who on three different occasions tried to build a beach house across the lake. And it kept collapsing in on itself. So imagine Jesus standing with his back to that pile of rubble on the other side of the lake. And this is the story that he tells. Therefore, everyone who hears these word of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. I can just see Jesus' eyebrows going up and having him kind of look around behind him just like, yeah, you seeing what I'm seeing right back here? The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. If we learn the principles of Psalm 127, we will build on the right foundation. And that's what we want to do this fall. We want to build the foundation of our lives, our family, and our church on a foundation that will not crumble. Secondly, if we follow these principles, we'll construct a house for eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, For we know that if the earthly tent, okay, he's talking about our human body, okay? We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Solomon is saying, guys, we need to learn to build with eternity in mind. Don't focus on the temporal. That's all going to disappear, including your human body. But we need to build with eternity in mind. We want to understand that all of this is temporary. Therefore, we want to build a home for eternity made out of living stones of people who were once far from God, but now are also going to make their home in eternity with us. God is saying over and over again that we're going to construct a house, a house that gives Him glory, that will bring Him eternity, and we're going to construct that on the right foundation. He goes on. I believe Psalm 127 teaches that we will also, if we live out these principles, that we will frame a story of hope and restoration. Joel chapter 2 has one of the most powerful promises in all of Scripture. It says, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. This has been the heartbeat of one of our churches in all of the years that it's been here, that we want our church to be a refuge, a place where it's okay to not be okay place where you can walk in the door broken and ruined and that it's not okay to stay not okay, but that there's growth and hope and help here. That's why I will tell you, as long as I've got anything to say about it, this will not be a country club. It will be an emergency room, which means there will be blood and there will be screaming and it will be messy and it will be gloriously horrible at different times, but we will see lives changed and lives saved. Can I get an amen from somebody on Saturday night? That's the dream, right? We want to build a refuge, a shelter for people who've lost hope. We want to tell a story of God's amazing plan to give them back everything that the enemy has stolen. So if you're following, hopefully you can see this. We're building on the right foundation. And then we're going to construct a house for eternity. And then we're going to frame a story of hope and restoration So we've got everything kind of on the lower levels done. Now we're going to start working our way up. If we follow the principles of Psalm 127, we're going to raise walls of transparency and protection. This is one of the reasons why we value authenticity and transparency here to the point where it will make people uncomfortable at times. We believe that we should be authentic and transparent 100% of the time because to do anything less is just, well, can we just be honest? God already knows what the truth is. So why not just speak the truth? Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. 
So I'm going to be authentic and transparent now. Don't let it freak you out until we get all the way to the end. Let me tell you a true story. So a few years ago, Christ the King Community Church, the Bellingham chapter, was bigger than it had ever been before. 4,000 plus people here on a weekend. We had built something huge, and it was huge. Huge to the point where, I mean, people lining up trying to get down the hallways to check kids in. I mean, it was just, it was a little bit insane here every single weekend. But there was a problem. Some people mistake huge for healthy. And it's not always one and the same. See, what I knew was this, because I had a front row seat. We were huge, but we were hanging by a thread. Every weekend, it felt like we were holding the place together with spit and duct tape. I mean, that's how it felt. We were exhausted. The staff was burning the, the candle at both ends. And you might think that during those great, wonderful times that, that people end up writing books about, that I would have been backstage going, wow, this is the most amazing thing ever. Can I just be honest and transparent with you? Most weekends, I would sit backstage and think to myself, I could get in my car right now, get to Linden, pick up Laurel, and we could be halfway to Seattle before anybody even knew we were gone. Because I'm not sure I can do this anymore. The church felt like a Great Dane out for a walk. I wasn't sure if I was walking it or if it was walking me. And I was falling apart at the seams. And I thought, if I'm supposed to be the guy in charge, and I'm having a hard time forming two sentences together, if I'm that messed up, I wonder what in the world else is going on in different parts of the building. I was tired. I was angry. I went to the leadership summit where Pastor Bill Hybels from Willow Creek had the courage to stand up in front of hundreds of thousands of leaders around the globe and say this, and it represented exactly how I felt. The rate at which I was doing God's work was destroying God's work in me. I was working for God. I totally forgot what it felt like to walk with God. So I made a decision. All on my own backstage one morning, I made a decision that I was going to do the exact opposite that I had seen so many of my predecessors do. I made a decision that I was not just going to put on my brave face and keep on walking. I made a decision that I wasn't going to fake it. I made a decision that I wasn't going to pretend that everything was okay in Oz. Instead, I did something a little crazy. I asked for help. And I started sharing with people that were around me. I asked for help. I took a step back. If you were here last summer, I went away for three months to rest and to find my heart and my soul again. And in that time, God gave me rest because I made a decision that I wanted to be healthy and the most amazing thing occurred. God actually gave me my hope back. Some people would say, but, but this happened and that happened. I'll take being healthy over being huge anytime. Over the last couple of years, much of the work that we've done around here has been very invisible to many of the people who attend Christ the King. We've been through a process of pruning and planting 
that at times has been wonderfully horrible and other times has been horribly wonderful. Does that make sense? There's just been times when it's kind of like, wow, like look at all this stuff that's going on. Well, one of our values here at Christ the King is that we tell the truth no matter what, even when it hurts. So someone actually had the courage to ask me last week. I've been waiting for it, right? Somebody said, Grant, why are we only doing three services? Can I just answer that question out here in front of everybody? We're only doing three services right now because that's what we need to do. Let me tell you why. So a year ago, I took a sabbatical to refresh my own soul. It was needed, but it came at a cost, and our attendance dropped, okay? Which drives me nuts as a pastor, because I'm just like, Jesus was here every weekend of my sabbatical. Like, do we understand that? God was here, ready to be worshipped. He's the focus. He's our senior pastor. I don't understand how human beings get in there, but it just kind of works that way, okay? So I went away, and attendance went down. Last summer, we underwent a major shift in the staffing of our children's department, and it came at a cost. It was hard. Every time we make a staffing shift, it costs us. No matter how pure our intentions may be, no matter how hard we may work at doing it right, there's always a cost when it comes to people. Earlier this spring, we underwent another shift with our youth ministry department, and it was hard, and it was needed, and now we're actually starting to see the fruit of some of those decisions. And then another factor actually came in. It was not a negative one. It was actually very positive. Over the last years, we've planted multiple campuses in multiple communities. What's crazy about our philosophy is that we actually do it in our own backyard. So we planted a bunch of churches within like 10, 15 miles of this church right here. Whenever we do that, there's a group of people that undertake the mission that come from somewhere. They come from here, and then they go and they do that mission, which is fantastic. And normally what happens is this. The church goes out, we plant. In case you're wondering, over 80% of churches usually fail in the first year. So far, all of, us are, all of ours are still going. Praise God to the praise of His glorious grace. They're still going. We're thankful for that. But once they get traction, people in their own community begin to look at it and go, wow, that actually looks like it might last. I think I might want my kids to go there. I think I might want to plug in there as a family because there's something about going to church in your own neighborhood that just is really, really kind of cool. And we have seen a wave of people as our campuses have grown and become more well-established making a decision to go to church in their own neighborhood. So, why are we doing three services right now? Because that's all we need to do. We need to do three services right now. Now, I'm telling you, that may change next week, okay? I'm just warning you, don't get comfortable. Don't start looking at it Saturday. Here's what I need from you more than anything. Please don't come to church on Sunday morning, okay? Don't come to church on Sunday morning. Please, for the love of God, don't come at the 1115 service. Because tomorrow is going to be a train wreck. I mean, it is a zoo already and it's summertime and people are just starting to come back, okay? So don't come. Stay here and invite 25 friends to come and join you, okay? That's what I'm asking you to do. There we go. We got an amen from somebody. Thank you, my brother, all right? Okay? For right now, just for right now, we're right on the bubble between not being big enough for four but also but not being too big, or we're almost like a little too big for three, so we're going to try it, and we're actually going to tell people the truth as to why we're going with three. It's because this is where we are at, but not God willing, where we're going to stay. 
Because I don't know if you know this, but there are more than 180,000 people in this community that don't know Christ. 180,000 of your neighbors, your friends, your family who are going to spend eternity without Jesus. If somebody doesn't grow a voice and be able to actually express to them how much God loves them. Okay, like a quarter of that was in my notes. We better come back to this. All right, so. What was that point? I know there was a point there. Oh, yeah, raising walls of transparency and protection. Okay, let's put something on top of the walls, okay? We're going to cover ourselves with prayer. The book of Jude, verses 20 and 21. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith. That's another way of saying we want people to be healthy. And praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. I'll tell you what, the battle of building a house that God blesses is not fought with building permits and easements. It's built with prayer. Jesus said his father's house would be a house of prayer. So we're going to cover this house with simple, heartfelt prayers that simply say, God, would you build Would you build and would you use us as the living stones with which you construct a church that will bring honor and glory to your name? Because we don't want to build just a big monument. We want to build a living, breathing family that reaches out to unchurched people so that they can experience the joy of salvation and a purposeful life of discipleship. Well, I'm also going to inform you of one more thing. Just like, oh, this is always fun, isn't it? Just when you think we're going to have it all built and ready to go, we're probably going to undergo another level of renovation. Okay? So let's add that one too. We're going to renovate our own character. Renovating a human heart is difficult, but it's essential. That's why God says this in 1 Corinthians 3. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, if it survives, then the builder will receive a reward. Everything we've been studying about who God is over the last six months has really been preparing us for this moment, because what God has been equipping us with is the right materials. What are we going to build with? We're going to build with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And then we're going to throw in a nice dose of humility on top of it. And we will choose to be on mission, which is the last part, okay? We've got a house with a great foundation. We've got walls of transparency, a covering of prayer. We better have some windows and doors built into the structure as well. I put it in your outline this way. If we are willing to follow the principles of Psalm 127, we will pursue and open our doors to the lost and broken of Whatcom County. One of my favorite guys in all of Scripture, besides Jesus, okay, because he's the star, is his brother James. I love James. One of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts, James shows up and there's a group of people debating how they're going to build God's church. And as human beings often do, they were quickly turning into this bureaucratic permit department. It's all tangled up in red tape. They're talking about rules and hoops to jump through. And and, and they're talking about regulations and, and how houses are supposed to be built. And into that conversation, one guy stands up. One guy 
who I'm sure had built a few things in his lifetime, some with vain construction, other with godly construction. One brave guy stands up and says this, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's keep the doors open. Let's keep the windows open. Let's let the wind of the Holy Spirit blow through the house like the sweetest air conditioning on a hot day in Whatcom County. Let's let it move around and cool parched souls. Let's allow living water to flow up through the plumbing of God's house so that people can drink cold water in Jesus' name. Let's prepare a meal and invite people to come and to join and to participate so that as far as it depends on us, there will be an eternal house constructed for the glory of Jesus right here in Whatcom County. You know, James wasn't saying, let's not build, it's too hard. He wasn't saying, we're big enough, it's us four no more. He wasn't saying, you know what, I think we've done enough, let's just hang a no vacancy sign on the front of the building and just call it good. No, he was saying this, if we're faithful, God will build At one time in history, Europe was the seedbed of the gospel. Martin Luther, John Calvin, St. Francis of Assisi, John Knox, William Wilberforce, the list just goes on and on and on of these godly people who made an investment in all of human history. They changed the landscape of history for Jesus, and God was building. He was building an unbelievable, eternal structure. But over the centuries... People began to lose their passion for the gospel of Jesus. They got distracted with vain construction, trying to build their own thing. They stopped telling the truth. They stopped praying. They stopped constructing. They labored in vain. And today, if you visit Europe and you look at old structures, especially old stone doors, you'll often find a Latin inscription chiseled in the stone over top of them. It's over the doors of churches much of which are now museums. It's over the mantle places of homes that were to be the original small group in God's design. And the Latin phrase says, Nisi Dominus Frustra. You know what it means? Unless the Lord builds the house, it doesn't mean anything. If God doesn't build Christ the King Community Church, it doesn't mean anything. We can work at this all we want to. It doesn't matter. Unless God does the building, we will labor in vain. God is inviting us to pick up a hammer and have His hand wrapped around ours so we know exactly where we are to build and how. That little phrase over top of the door, it's a warning and it's a call to action, a call from Psalm 127. A call that says to each and every one of us that if we are willing to build God's way with God's material to God's glory, that what is constructed here in Whatcom County will not just be temporal, but it will be eternal because it will be composed of the living stones of human beings 
who were loved so much by God that he sent his son here to die on a cross in order to save their eternal life. So what are we doing this fall? We're going to pick up a hammer. And we're going to start constructing the kind of life change that God would want. We're going to begin to build the kind of health that God would want in each one of our lives. We're going to begin to construct relationships between each other. We're going to do all of that so that God gets the glory and Jesus is made famous in Whatcom County. Would you pray with me as we get ready to close tonight? Father God, this is just the the beginning of everything you have for us in this beautiful psalm. Lord, I pray that you would remind us about it, that you would tap us on the shoulder with it. Father, I pray for parents tonight who will put children to bed in their homes. I pray that they would hear you whisper unless the Lord builds the house. Father, for the businessmen and women in this room who are trying to construct a career, a place to contribute, Lord, I pray that they would be reminded Monday morning when they open the door of their establishment that unless the Lord builds that business, Father, I pray that every time we walk through the doors of this church that we would be reminded, unless the Lord builds that church, that all of us are simply laboring in vain. And Father, we don't want to waste our time. We don't want to waste the life that you have given to us. And so, Lord, we make ourselves wholly available. God, put a tool belt around our waist. God, clothe us with the armor of God. Lord, give us a a new and passionate love for the Word of God. Lord, take us to our knees where we can pray. Lord, allow us to be transparent and open. And Father, may our heart always be broken. For those in our county who don't know Jesus, Lord, we make ourselves wholly available to you as you build this fall. And may it all be done to the praise of your glory and grace. And all God's people said, Amen.